Well, good morning, everybody. For those of you I do not know, my name is Mike. It's an honor to welcome you here to North Star for the second week in our series uh, called Echoes, these stories that are worth retelling. And this one today is definitely worth retelling, and it's going to be really, really good. So I want you to do me a favor. Take your Bibles. Turn to the book of John. We're going to camp out in John chapter 4. We'll start reading in just a second, verse 4. If you have your North Star app, that is the easiest way to follow along. Go to North Star Church, Georgia, in the App Store, and you can uh, download that app. It has all the notes there. You were also given a little sermon note sheet on the way in. Today is a day that our prayer has been that you encounter Jesus maybe in a different way than you ever have before. So in both of our rooms, I know we got a great crowd in True North this morning. Many of you watch it in the theater, and many of you watch it online. This is your lifeline. This card is your lifeline. Uh, put, your, put your name on it. If today you have a prayer request, you're like, I want to talk to somebody about this, this is the way that you will do it. What's well, a busy time in our area? How many of you are um, parents of kids that are about to be home for summer? Raise your hand. Oh yeah, your hands aren't going up real quick, are they? I'm looking forward to sort of summer. How many of you are teachers and you're really ready for summer? Oh yeah, I got double hands going all over the room. It's a busy time here in the area. I know it's crazy with sports. I know we just, in fact, at the For You Friday on Instagram, they just acknowledged one of our HSM students that was a double state champion in track and field at Alatoona to here. Uh, and then last night, North Cobb Christian and Mount Perrin Christian squared off in the state championship and they split. They'll play again tomorrow night. So would y'all congratulate all those kids in our community and the way they're excelling on and off the field. I was just texting here with one of our local coaches here a second ago and they invest so much time into those kids. It's great. So we got, a, we got a great morning. So today, last week, I had Stephanie up. This week, I've got another familiar face to you, but you may or may not know them. And, and today, I think you're going to know this guy a little bit better than, uh, than you had before. Um, I met him in the early 1990s. He was 12, I was 10. But anyways, so we met in the you know, let your math work there. But anyway, so we, we met a long time ago and have been longtime friends. And uh, one of the most talented people I know with a story that I think is going to resonate with your heart and your life. So would y'all welcome to the stage Mr. Larry Grays this morning. Come on up, Larry. Woo, woo, woo. 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 Sorry I made you my story older than me. I'm actually older than you, but anyway. Sad That's part, right. we were adults in the um, early 1990s. I'm, I'm afraid. We'll see what happens. Yeah, we'll <laughs> see what happens. All right. Night, uh, John 4. Here we go. John 4. We're going to dive into the story that echoes. It echoes because there's so much power in it. You, you know, sometimes you read the Bible and you go, why in the world did they leave that in there? This is one of the stories. During the time the Bible was written, this was crazy that this story's in there. So here we go, John 4, verse 4. We're going to read and we're going to talk. So at any point you're reading along, you're like, all right, I'm not reading that anymore. Look up because Larry and I are chatting about it because I want you to get the context of this story, John 4. He had to go through Samaria on the way. <laughs> it's interesting. <laughs> we talked about this the other day. He had to go. 
Samaria was not a place that good Jews went through. Why? In short, because Jews hated Samaritans. It was, uh, it was one of the times of the most racially divided periods, really in the history of the world. That's how I hear people today go, man, racial division's never been worse than it is today. I'm like, have you read your Bible? <laughs> the Samaritans hated the Jews. There were three ways to get there, and you could go, you could go along the coast, you could go across the Jordan, or you could go straight through Samaria. And a good Jew, Samaria was the shortest route, but they wouldn't go through down. It's like, I'm not going through downtown Atlanta. I'm taking 285. Not, they're not, neither are good options, but <laughs> they would literally walk miles out of their way to avoid a Samaritan. They wouldn't get the dust on their feet. No, I mean, they would not no, even no. get the dust on their feet. So number one, Jesus is compelled to go through Samaria because there's an encounter that's about to happen. Verse 5. Eventually, he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. So, this is, most scholars think this was May-ish time. It is hot. Sun is at its peak. And Jesus is tired from the long walk. And soon, a Samaritan woman came to draw water. In a place Jesus really never should have gone through, now in an encounter that nobody expects to happen. So Larry, he's not only in Samaria, there's a Samaritan woman that's come at noon. Unpack that a little bit. So I, I think the, t the text wants to ask the question, why is she at the well at noon? So it's, it's the hottest part of the day um, she's alone, which, which tells you something's wrong. Like, this is not when you go get water. You don't go get it by yourself. You don't go get in the hardest part of the day, the hottest part of the day. And as we walk through the passage, you're going to see this woman, she was an outcast. Uh, she was isolated. She had a bad, we she was immoral. And so part of this story, even part of like, when you go back to like, he had to go through this town is like, what's like, this is part of his message. Mm, mm. It's also part of his mission. He's like, I, I have to go meet this woman. This woman who ordinarily nobody else is hanging out with. She's not part of the crew. She's not in our squad. <laughs> like she's, yep. she's an outcast. This, this water jug she's carrying, it's not like our little handheld, everybody's got a little handheld jug now. This is, a, this is a probably 40 pounds of water was the five gallons that she would bring with her. And she's there having a conversation she's not expecting, you pick it up. And Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. This question Jesus asked her caught her off guard. Number one, that he's even there. Number two, that he asked her a question why was it so crazy for Jesus to ask her a question, to give him a drink? Why is that so outlandish to her? There's several things happening. One, we already talked about the fact Jews hate Samaritans, Samaritans hate Jews. The other thing is a Jewish man would not talk to a woman in public that he did not know, much less a Samaritan woman. So the fact that he's asking her, like he's breaking all the rules. I read somebody said they're really both risking their reputation. To have this conversation. Mm, mm. You know, it's, it's funny, like there's certain 
certain sins and certain things that people do, you go, dude, are we really going to like bring that person on stage? <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Like it's, it, it's, it's, a, it's a risk for him to have this conversation with this type of a woman. And this surprise gets even more surprised as they begin to unpack it. She said to Jesus, you're a Jew. I'm Samaritan. Why are you asking me for a drink? And Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. So she's there getting physical water. Jesus offers her living water, which you would go, oh, well, I bet she jumped at it. She didn't jump at it. Living water. What did she think he meant, Larry, by living water? What do you think she thought? I think the immediate application is like she's thirsty, right? Like, oh, this is, this is like a water that doesn't end. This is like miracle water. This is, you know, like, hey, dial 1-800. Is there any reason you couldn't use water to last forever? Like, it's a, it's a sales gimmick a little bit. But she's thinking temporary. Mm. She's thinking almost like a, you're dealing with the symptoms but you're not dealing with the problem. It's a temporal fix, but not a permanent fix. I, I heard this, I don't know if it's a dad joke or whatever, but this lady, her car can't start, and this guy stops to help her, and she's like, I can't get my car started, but my husband says, if you'll just jiggle the battery wires, it should work, and the guy reaches, grabs the battery wire, and it just comes right off. He goes, well, I just, I just need to tighten it. She says, no, you don't need to tighten it. My husband just said to jiggle it. <laughs> and this guy's thinking, why didn't the husband just tighten it? And permanently fix the problem. He goes, lady, if I don't tighten this, you're going to have to rejiggle it every time you get in the car. And he said he thought to himself, how often do we look for temporary fixes when there's a permanent solution? This is good. All right, let's keep reading. I, got, I have so much to say. I, that could have been Anne, and her husband didn't know how to fix it. But I, well, just in defense of the guy. So just in defense. Here we go. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, and this well is deep. Where do you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and the animals enjoyed? She is just totally swinging and missing, and we, it's almost, we know the rest of the story, so it's a little laughable, but we miss it too. Why is it possible to sit in a room like this True North, theater, watching online, and miss it. Why is it still possible to miss it, what he's having to say to us? You, uh, you mentioned the, this woman's attitude or the tone or the, the tenor of the text, right? Like, this woman, she's got a story. She doesn't have friends. She's had a bunch of bad relationships. She's got all sorts of problems and issues. She's kind of got an edge to her a little bit. She's like, yeah. like man, you know, I got five kids back in the house I got to take care of. Like, I've had a bad day. She shows up, not in the middle of a bad day. She was in the middle of a bad life. Mm. And um, she's just not thinking spiritual. She's thinking, I, I got to pay the bills today. You know, I got to put water on the table. And she's thinking really material, physical. And she's like, listen, there's a spiritual solution here. And he gets into that spiritual solution. He said, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water that I give will never be thirsty. It becomes fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. So pause here real quick. How many of you walk across our bridge on Sundays? Raise your hand if you walk across the bridge. That, that, that creek 
that flows under the bridge is fed by a spring right up the road that we just prayed that we didn't build on. But anyways, it's right up the, right up the road a little bit. Literally, 07, 08 drought, you couldn't find water anywhere. That creek looks just like it does today. Why, it was the spring that just kept coming. Verse 15, please, sir, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. I mean, she's starting to get it. And then the tables turn. Listen, this is, have you ever walked up on an awkward conversation? This was an awkward conversation. Look at what happens. Go get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband. Jesus said, you're right, you don't have a husband. You have five. You're not even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Awkward. I mean, it's just an awkward like, meter. Like, he got that right. <laughs> Why did that have to happen, Larry? Why did that shift have to happen there? The, um, you know, I think part of John chapter 4 is connected to John chapter 3. Mm, mm. So this woman is immoral, divorced multiple times, wrong race. I mean, just go down the list. Like, she misses all the boxes. She's the chick who didn't grow up in church. John chapter 3, Jesus encounters Nicodemus. Nicodemus is a ruler of the Pharisees. Like, he's, he's as churchy as it gets. Part of the message between John chapter 3 and John chapter 4 is the church kid and the non-church kid both need to be born again. Mm. She needs the gospel just as much as he needed the gospel. That's part of what's happening here. And, and he's going to expose, like, we're going we're gonna to talk about some things. We're, this, isn't, this isn't show up at church on Sunday and fake it. How's your week? All right, it's good. How's yours? Good. When stuff at home is a mess. This is just like, geez, you show up at church, it's like, stuff at home's a mess, right? You're like, oh, how did you know? <laughs> this is, remember growing up as a kid and they'd be like, what if you like died and went to heaven and they showed on a big screen all of your sins? How would you feel? Her stuff is on a big screen right now. That's right. That's right. And now it's, it's exposing part of her life. She's kept hidden for so long. Look at verse 25. Let's jump ahead a little bit. The woman said, so there's a knowledge here, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called the Christ, and when he comes, he will explain everything to us. She is sensing there's something different here, and Jesus makes a statement, I am the what? Powerful, Larry, because what just happened in this exchange? So up until this, up until this point, Jesus has never acknowledged that he's the Christ. He always says, it's not my hour, it's not my time. This is the first person in scripture that Jesus actually says, yeah, I'm who you think I am. I'm the Messiah. And what's crazy is it's a woman it's a Samaritan, it's a multiple divorcee, and I don't think it's a mistake no. that the first person he says, yeah, I'm the son of God, I'm the Messiah, was this woman. 
Just then his disciples came back and they were shocked. (laughs) I'm sure they were. To find him talking to the woman, but none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her? Why are you talking to her? The woman left her water jar beside the well. She came to get water. She found more. She left the water, ran back to the village, telling everyone, come and see the man who told me everything I did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? Verse 39, many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman said, he told me everything I ever did. And when they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village. So he stayed for two days, long enough for many more to hear his message. Would y'all stand with me? Read verse 42. Then they said to the woman, now we believe. Not just because of what you told us, because you've heard of him, we've heard of him ourselves. Now we know he is indeed the savior of the world. Father, may we find what they found. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray, amen. Before you're seated, find three people and say, I'm glad we didn't have to stand for the whole reading. <laughs> oh, that, no, do that real quick, turn around. All right, Larry, um, you and I read John 4 with different lenses, right? I read it one way, you read it one way. Why do we read John 4 differently? Uh, You probably read it like John 3. And I read it like John 4. What probably a lot of people don't know is I was a pastor, um, started a church, really active in ministry, and I went through a divorce and unfaithfulness was involved. And part of my journey, and why even this passage is so important to me, one of the first questions I had to ask was, um, how does God feel about me? Mm. And so many of the truths in this passage helped me in my, in my journey, honestly. So it's, it's why I, I read it differently, probably. You know, it's, it's so interesting. We've known each other this whole process. I heard a great speaker, Christine Kane, make a statement. She said, man was never built to handle shame. Mm. What does shame do to people? When they feel like, I, I don't, this is where this lady was. I don't fit, I don't belong, I'm not one of them. What does shame do to us? Yeah, I, I'm a big Brene Brown fan, and Brene Brown talks about the difference between guilt and shame, and guilt is I have done something wrong, and shame is I am something wrong. Mm. Uh, guilt is I have failed, shame is I am a failure. Uh, I thought about this earlier, I thought shame says, will Mike Lynch still be my friend? Shame says, will Mike walk with me through the most difficult days of my life? Shame says, more important than what well, Mike still be my friend. Shame says, well, God still love me, and could God ever use me again? Mm. And so shame really leads to more and more bad behavior because you think you're unworthy. And it's, it's, it's a game changer in a bad way. You get shame, and you get to that point of hopelessness, and you start making bad choices on top of bad choices because you don't think there's hope for you or for your marriage or for your future or for your kids. It, it, it just, it's just a ripple effect. It's so funny. Je- Genesis 2, verse 25, it said, Adam and Eve walked in the garden and felt, walked naked in the garden, felt no shame. Chapter three, Genesis, centers the picture 
and they're hiding from God. And they're asking God all these things, and God's asking them things. Why is it so important, Larry, to find our way out of shame? Ready? Point one on your outlines. Y'all gonna have to listen a lot faster. All right, here we go. So, point one on your outlines. Why is it so important that we find healing grace? What would you say? Um, Jesus is going to say to this lady, if you, if you had have known the gift that I offer you, most of us grew up kind of feeling like we have to earn love and earn acceptance. Mm-hmm. And obviously this woman, had, she knew she didn't deserve it. She hadn't earned it. And I think it was hard for her to realize, listen, I'm about to give you something that maybe nobody else in your whole life has given you. And that's grace. That's forgiveness. That's mercy. But we live in such an earn it kind of culture, even especially church-wise, like do this, do this, do this, and then God's going to love you more. Do this, do this, do this. And hopefully you ask a good Muslim, like, what does it take to get to heaven? They say, the scales, man. Hopefully the good stuff in my life outweighs the bad stuff. I'm trying to earn it. And it's a gift. Because if you knew this is a gift, you just got to receive it. Was great. You, you spent your life preaching on grace. You are more educated on grace. You have your doctorate degree. I don't have my doctorate degree, <laughs> right? Was grace hard for you to accept? Absolutely. You know, and, and I think part of it is, you know, we teach people before they become a Christian, there's nothing you can do to make God love you more or any less. But then somehow once you become a Christian, we teach, now all of a sudden God loves you more or less based on what you do. As opposed to what we, we're going to use a big word for a minute, imputed righteousness, like God's righteousness being put into your bank account. But it's still this, it's hard. Like, how, it, even still, there are moments and days where you go like, well, let me get this right. He really loves me? <laughs> when you began to heal, Larry, what were some of the steps out of shame that you began to take? What were some of the, the pathways for somebody sitting in this room and they feel like the light is on them? Like, oh my gosh, Mike and Larry heard and now they're talking about it on Sunday morning. What was the pathway out of this healing grace? What were some of the steps you had to take in those early days? For me, days? It, it really, it really, the shift started with, again, that question, how does God really feel about me? So in my particular story, I feel like everyone's kind of surprised, shocked, like, oh my gosh, I can't believe marriage falling apart, can't believe some of the details. And the only person that, my, one of my epiphanies was, the, get this, the only person who knew everything was God. Here's the deal with you. There is one person who knows all your secrets. I, I, it's funny. I'm guessing most of you wouldn't like to sit on this stage and tell us your secrets. <laughs> the only one who knew all of my secrets was God. And the only one whose opinion of me didn't change a single bit was, was God. And so really it's Adam and Eve in the garden going, where are you and why? Like they're hiding from God and God's going, no, listen, I'm going to give you grace and I'm going to cover your sin. And so it really started more importantly than what do you think about me and what does Mike think about me? It really started with what does God feel about me? Mm. 
And so it's, and it's it again, it's that, it's the whole morning again, it's that new creation in Christ. It's like, I'm his son, I belong to him, and let's start here. And then it is important to work through those other relationships. And I had to do that too. Like, and we're going to do it, but part of it is owning it and man, calling it what it is. And then we can apply grace to it. You know, it's, it's so good because the awkward part of this conversation for healing to happen took this point number two, brutal honesty. Right, this pathway out included brutal honesty. Why is it so important, Larry, that we expose it all and find out he's not shocked and that he loves us anyways in spite of it? Yes, complications, consequences, of course, but yet he still loves me. Why does it take honesty for healing to happen? I, I believe grace and truth do its best work in the light. And, in, and until we call it what it is, we can't really deal with it. Like even in a business context, right? We can pretend the numbers are good, but if the numbers are bad, until we acknowledge that the numbers are bad, we can't fix the bad numbers. Until I acknowledge that I need God's grace, I can't receive God's grace, which means I have to acknowledge that I'm a sinner. And, like, and again, it goes back to verse 4, John 4. He needed to come. Because the reality is, it's, it's sin. We got a sin problem. The sad part is, time out, church has become the place, I'm talking about plural, not North Star, plural, that it's not safe to be that. Why should this be the safest place? Why should the church be the place I can be this and know I'm not alone. Here's funny you said it. My mind, again, a thousand places. Safe. Like, a bar is a safe place. They're not going to judge you. Right? Hey, shot, you did what? Wah, wah, wah. But then we come to church and we got to fake it. Bar might be safe, but it's not helpful. Yep. Like, this should be safe and it should be helpful. If there's any place in Ackworth or Cobb County, I should be able to come and go, man, I am struggling. My marriage is struggling. My family, my addiction is struggling. My temper is struggling. My, go down the list. This ought to be the safest place in town. And not just that, the most helpful place. Because we don't call right. it what it is so we can get to where we, God created us to be. But as long as I'm not honest with me and I'm not honest with God, I'll never get there. Neither will you. you I remember, Larry, your first time walking in the door. You sat right over can there. I, can I tell you what I thought when I sat there? Yeah. I thought, I'm too smart to be this stupid. <laughs> was I it really because of my preaching? Was it <laughs> no. that? Was it made no, you I was like, how did I get here? You know, which is those questions God asks in those moments. He's like, where are you? Adam, where are where, How did you get here? Mm. Which starts with being honest about where I am. And so for me, it's one of those, I, when I moved here, I started here. And as a place of, I feel like, greater innocence and purity or whatever else, I'm like, how did I get so stupid? I had a professor, he goes, sin makes you stupid. Amen. You know, <laughs> it does. But she found something, though. At the end of the brutal honesty, she found, look, look at me, what you have to find for eternity. And she found, point three, living water. You, you and I were prepping the other day on a call. You talked about dehydrated hearts. She, she went there because she was physically thirsty, but she really had a dehydrated heart. Un, 
unpack that a little bit. Yeah, yeah. This whole passage is about being thirsty. It starts with physical thirst, but it really moves toward spiritual thirst and what you are really craving. So Max Licata has a book called Thirsty, and he, he talks about a dehydrated heart. He said, dehydrated hearts send desperate messages, tempers, worry, guilt, fear, hopelessness, sleeplessness, loneliness, resentment, insecurity. You, you could add to those lists. But there are things that our hearts are telling us something is missing. And this woman tried to fill that thirst <laughs> with men. But you can try to fill it with money, try to fill it with sex, try to fill it with drugs, try to fill it with attention. Try, like just, but our heart's going, something's missing. Mm. She found it. You know, that, that picture that we showed earlier of the scouts. So that, that crowd of people gathered there, probably 90% of that crowd doesn't go to church anywhere on a Sunday. Why were they there to see Jack Powell, almost a 40-year veteran, major league scout, sound so many people that you watch on television, it's unbelievable. You know why they were there? Because he found something he was looking for, and he invited all of them to come. In the middle of a work day on a patio, they heard about something that was way bigger than the game of baseball. They were all going to go watch that night. We were talking the other day, verse 39 grabbed you. Talk about that. Yeah. Funny, I heard Megan doing the, the announcements, which I'm normally the announcement guy, right? Yeah. She lived sent. But here was her evangelistic message, right? So if you've grown up around church, like how do we bring people to Jesus? How bring people to church? Here's what she went and told everybody. Come meet a man who told me everything I ever did. <laughs> And it says, and many believe because of her words. You know what that tells me? There were a whole bunch of thirsty people. Wait a minute. I can be completely honest with God, and he still loves me, and he still wants to use me, and he can, yeah. And I think about um, even you in this room and online, you wouldn't have tuned in, and you probably never would have showed up if you hadn't been thirsty. Mm. You may not even know what it was. This woman didn't realize what she needed when she showed up at the well, but she was thirsty. <laughs> Here, one of the amazing things I kind of unpacked this week and looking at this was um, Jesus is hanging on the cross. And one of the things he says on the cross is, I thirst. Wait a second. I thought he was a living water. How's God thirsty. And there was a physical thirst because of the whole crucifixion process, the station of the cross, he was exhausted. But more importantly, there was a spiritual thirst that Jesus knew for a moment in eternity because he became her divorces. Mm. He became your secrets. He cries out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He became her sin so that you and I could be forgiven of our sins. Because I'm the Christ. I'm the Messiah. I'm the one sent to save your soul and to bring you the grace of God. And I, 
Man, I would, I would dare say there are some of you today who um, Jesus is saying, I, I want to give you living water, but you got to be real, willing to receive the gift. He sent you, I know everything about you. And I knew about when I died for you. I knew about when I rose from the grave. I love you and I want you. My prayer is that many of you would believe to do just like they did in this passage. Can we take a minute and just pray together? Would you bow your head and close your eyes and pray with me? Can we start with brutal honesty? Let's talk to God and be brutally honest. Are you willing to call your sin what God calls it? That's why I needed to come. If it's your desire today, say, you know what? I want what she wants. Sir, give me, God, give me this living water. I want eternal life. I want to be a part of your family. I want your grace. Will you pray to God now and start with confessing, God, I confess I'm a sinner. Would you pray that? Is it your desire to follow Christ? Do you believe he is the Messiah? then would you confess that to God right now? God, I believe Jesus is your son. He's the Christ, and I want him as my savior. Just pray that, tell that to God. God, I desire to follow you. Change my life. Give me living water. In Jesus' name.